Section 55 of The Toilers of the Sea by Victor Hugo. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain, read by John Greenman. Chapter 5. A Word as to the Secret Cooperation of the Elements. For those who, by the chances of voyages, may be condemned to the temporary habitation of a reef in the ocean, the form of the reef is not a matter of indifference. There is the pyramidal reef, a single peak rising from the water. There is the circular reef, something like a ring of huge stones. There is the corridor reef. The corridor reef is the most alarming. It is so not only on account of the agony of the waves between its walls and the tumult of the closely confined billows, it is so also because of the obscure meteorological properties which seem to proceed from the parallel position of two rocks in the open sea. These two straight layers are a genuine electric battery. A corridor reef has its bearings east and west. This direction is of importance. The first result of it is an action upon the air and the water. The corridor reef acts upon the waves and the wind mechanically by its form, galvanically by the different magnetic actions possible to its vertical planes, its masses in juxtaposition, but counteracted by each other. This sort of reef attracts to itself all the furious forces scattered in the hurricane, and exercises over the tempest a singular power of concentration. Hence, in the vicinity of these shoals, there is a certain accentuation of the tempest. It must be borne in mind that the wind is composite. One thinks of the wind as simple. It is not. This force is not only chemical, it is also magnetic. There is something inexplicable about it. The wind is electrical as much as aerial. Certain winds coincide with the aurora borealis. The wind from the Aiguille's bank rolls up waves a hundred feet high to the amazement of Dumont d'Urville. The corvette, he says, did not know whom to obey. Beneath the southern squalls, real, unhealthy tumors swell the ocean, and the sea becomes so horrible that the savages fly in order to avoid looking at it. The gales of the northern seas are different. They are all mingled with needles of ice, and these winds, which cannot be breathed, push the sledges of the Eskimo backwards on the snow. Other winds burn. There is a Simun of Africa, which is the Typhoon of China and the Samuel of India. Simun, Typhoon, Samuel. One might think them to be demons. They melt the summits of the mountains. A storm vitrified the volcano of Toluca. That hot blast, a whirlwind of inky hue, dashing down upon the red clouds, caused Vedas to say, Here comes the black god to steal the red cows. One feels the presence of the electric mystery in everything. The wind is full of this mystery. So is the sea. It is also complicated. Under the waves of water which one sees, it has waves of forces which one does not see. It is composed of everything. Of all confusions, the ocean is the most indivisible and the most profound. Try to give yourself a conception of this chaos so enormous that it results in equilibriums. It is the universal recipient. 
a reservoir for fecundation, a crucible for transformations. It amasses, then disperses. It accumulates, then sows. It devours, then creates. It receives all the sewers of the earth and converts them into treasure. It is solid in the iceberg, liquid in the wave, fluid in the effluvium. As a matter, it is a mass, and as force, it is an abstraction. It equalizes and unites all phenomena. It is simplified by its infinite in combination. It is by dint of mingling and disturbance that it arrives at transparency. Soluble diversity is absorbed in its unity. Its elements are so numerous that it becomes identity, and one of its drops is complete and represents the whole. Because it is full of tempests, it attains equilibrium. Plato saw the dance of the spheres, a strange thing to say, but nonetheless real. In the colossal terrestrial journey around the sun, the ocean, with its ebb and flow, is the balance of the globe. In the phenomenon of the sea, all phenomena are present. The sea is sucked up by the whirlwind as by a siphon. A storm is like a pump. The lightning proceeds from the water as well as from the air. On shipboard dull shocks are felt. Then an odor of sulfur comes from the chain locker. The ocean boils. The devil has put the sea in his cauldron, said Reuter. In certain tempests, which characterize the equinoxes and the return into equilibrium of the genesiac forces, vessels beaten by the foam seem to give out a kind of fiery light, and sparks of phosphorus run along the rigging, so mingled with the ropes that the sailors stretch out their hands and try to catch these birds of fire on the wing. After the Lisbon earthquake, a blast as from a furnace pushed towards the city a wave sixty feet high. The oscillation of the ocean is closely connected with the terrestrial quaking. These immeasurable energies render all cataclysms possible. Towards the close of 1864, a hundred leagues from the coast of Malabar, one of the Maldive islands sank in the sea. It foundered like a vessel. The fishermen who had set out from it in the morning found nothing in the evening and they were barely able to vaguely distinguish their villages under the waves, and on this occasion vessels were present as spectators at the shipwreck of houses. In Europe, where it seems as though nature felt herself restrained by respect for civilization, such events are rare and thought impossible. Nevertheless, Jersey and Guernsey once formed part of Gaul, and at the moment when we write these lines, an equinoctial gale has just demolished the cliff of the first of the fourth. Note, Frith of Forth, on the frontier between England and Scotland. Nowhere do these panic forces appear more formidably conjoined than in that astounding northern strait, Lysifjord. The Lysifjord is the most formidable of all the gut reefs of the ocean. There the demonstration is complete. It is in the North Sea, in the vicinity of the rough Stravanger Gulf, at the fifty-ninth degree of latitude. The water is heavy and black, with a fever of intermittent storms. In that sea, in the midst of that solitude, there is a great gloomy street, a street for no one. 
No one passes through it, no vessel risks herself there. A corridor ten leagues long between two walls three thousand feet high. Such is the passage which presents its entrance to the sea. This strait has elbows and angles, like all streets of the sea, which are never straight, being made by the irregular action of the waves. In the Lysefjord the water is almost always tranquil. The sky is serene, a terrible place. Where is the wind? Not on high. Where is the thunder? Not in the heavens. The wind is beneath the sea. The thunder is in the rock. From time to time there is a quaking of the water. At certain moments, nearly halfway up the vertical cliff, a thousand or fifteen hundred feet above the waves, on the south side rather than on the north, the rock suddenly thunders without there being a cloud in the air. A flash of lightning darts forth from it, then draws back like those playthings which fly out and spring back into the hands. There are contractions and enlargements. It darts to the opposite cliff, re-enters the rock, then comes forth again, begins anew, multiplies its heads and its tongues, bristles with points, strikes where it can, begins yet again, then is extinguished with singular abruptness. Flocks of birds take their flight. Nothing so mysterious as this artillery proceeding from the invisible. One rock attacks the other. The reefs hurl lightnings at each other. This war does not concern man, the hatred of two walls in an abyss. In the Lisa Fjord the wind is converted into effluvium, the rock performs the function of a cloud, and the thunder has its volcanic outbursts. This strange strait is a voltaic pile, the plates of which are represented by its two cliffs. End of chapter 5 A Word as to the Secret Cooperation of the Elements <laughs>